Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 11. Second Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 11. This week and next week, and we finish up our series in Second Corinthians, and we start a brand new series two weeks from tonight in the Gospel of John. We're going to spend a couple months in the Gospel of John, looking at the early chapters of the Gospel of John. And just a sort of a inspiration, motivation to be part of this study as well on Tuesday night, John has such a unique perspective on Jesus Christ more than any other of Christ's followers. Let's remember something. John was by far the youngest of the disciples. He far outlived all the other disciples. He was a disciple that leaned on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. He was the only disciple that was at the foot of the cross. He was a disciple that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary to after he departed. And so John has a very unique relationship and perspective on Jesus, and we're going to be discovering that in just a couple weeks, so I'm excited about that. Also have a couple of announcements, but I'm going to save those for the end tonight. Second Corinthians 12. So here's, here's where we're at in this letter. Paul, even tonight, is once more continuing to defend his apostleship and to contrast his ministry and service with those of the false apostles who've come into the church that he founded and turn many within the church against Paul. And therefore, by turning them against Paul, in a sense they were turning them against the one that God wanted to use to continue to influence them in a positive way. And so Paul is not defending himself for his own sake. He is defending his ministry and apostleship out of necessity because he understands that the Corinthians' spiritual welfare depends upon it. And one of the other things that we have seen throughout these, especially last couple of chapters, and we're going to see tonight, is the struggle sometimes that we go through as brothers and sisters in Christ in our relationship with each other. We obviously don't always get along with each other. And Paul's relationship with many in the church at Corinth was strained at best. There was a lot of tension between Paul and this group within the church at Corinth. And sometimes I think we get the idea that, you know, the, the struggles that Christians have today to, to relate to each other and to maintain relationships with each other is totally different than it was back in Bible times. They all got along with each other. Well, if you read the New Testament... Almost every letter to every church in the New Testament, they all had problems because they're filled with people. And, and even though we can be Christians and we can be saved, it's so easy for us to either get led astray, is what was happening here, to get lifted up in pride, to, to, to become selfish and self-centered, and to get our eyes off the big picture and off of Christ. And so we can always get into relationships, even with our brothers and sisters in Christ that could be a strain. It can be tense. And you're going to see that angst in Paul tonight because 
one of the things that comes through very loud and clear in this entire letter is just how much Paul loves the Corinthians. And how much this strain and tension has really hurt him and grieved him because he wants their relationship to be what it used to be. But obviously he only has control over his own attitude and over his own actions. He has no control over the Corinthians and how they respond. He's going to share truth with them. And and he's going to be a faithful friend who, in a sense, is going to share truth. But at the end of the day, it's got to come from them. And they've got to be willing to change their heart and mind. And they've got to be willing to say, you know what? Maybe we were led astray and, and we need to look at you, Paul, differently. And so Paul opens up this part with these words in verse 11. I have become a fool. Again, Going back to the last couple of weeks, he didn't want to enter into boasting about his ministry and sharing all of his ministry experiences. And we talked about his thorn in the flesh last week and becoming an overcomer. But he says, you yourselves forced me to do it. You drove me. You compelled me because you've allowed these false teachers to influence you away from me and ultimately then away from Christ. So he says, for I should have been commended by you. You should have been open to my ministry because God wanted me to continue to influence you and be used by God in your life. But you've shut me down. You've shut me off. You put a wall up. You no longer allow me to minister to you. And that's not the way God wants it. And so he says, I lack nothing in comparison to those super apostles. He calls the false teachers who came into the church at Corinth, these super apostles who basically had set themselves up and thought that they were better than everybody else. And like Paul's already said, they didn't come into the church to serve, but to be served. They came into the church to basically tell everybody else what to do. Unlike Paul and his fellow ministers who started this church at Corinth. The point I want to make is this. Notice in ministry in serving the Lord, in our relationship with each other as believers. We should never allow any other believer or one who confesses to be a believer to make us feel inferior in any way. And neither should we as a Christian brother or sister ever make any other Christian feel inferior to us. See, and that's what was happening in the church at Corinth. And Paul says, I lack nothing. I'm not behind. I'm not inferior in any... And can you imagine people thinking Paul was inferior? You know, we look at... We're just the opposite. We look at Paul and go, oh, I'm so inferior to Paul. And Paul would look at us and go, no, you're not. You have the same Holy Spirit living in you that I did. And we've got to remember that. That's one of the reasons why... As Christians, we're not inferior. You have the same Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God gave each one of us as Christians everything that pertains to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3 When God gave us the Word and He gave every one of us His Word, He gave us this so that we could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we also have prayer. We have access, all of us as Christians, into the very presence of God. 
Which is why the author of Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might all find help in our time of need. So the reason none of us should be lacking or feel inferior to any other believer is because we've all been given the same word. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the ability to pray at any time. And so let's make sure that as Christians here, that you don't feel like you are behind, inferior, or lacking in any way to any other Christian. And please don't make other Christians feel inferior to you in any way. Because that's one of the things that was happening. That was one of the dynamics that was happening in the church at Corinth. Even though, notice what Paul says very importantly at the end of verse 11, even though I am nothing. And what he's doing there is balancing out his humility with the fact that he understands exactly what Jesus said in John 15, 5. Without me, you can do nothing. With me, you can do all things. Philippians 4.13, Paul understood that. That's why he talked about glorying in the fact that he was weak. Because he understood as a Christian, he got to a point where he let go of trying to do things in his own power and strength and to learn to let Christ work through him. And when he did that, he knew he could conquer and overcome anything. Even the thorn in his flesh. But Paul also understood that with Christ, he lacked nothing. He had the Holy Spirit, he had the Word, he had prayer, he, had, he was in Christ. And so he lacked nothing. Even though without Christ, he understood he could do nothing on his own. And then he goes on in verse 12. Indeed, the signs of an apostle were performed among you with great perseverance. By signs, the word means distinguishing marks. And wonders, we could use the word marvels there. And powerful deeds, we could use the word miracles. Now very interestingly, God never chose to to reveal what those miracles, wonders, and signs that Paul did in Corinth. We don't know what they are. For some reason, God didn't choose to put that in the Word of God. But what He did choose to put into the Word of God was Paul's great perseverance that he talks about in verse 12. The point, though, that Paul's making is he's saying, look, God confirmed my ministry when I started this church and was among you in Corinth. If if you were in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, you saw God work through me and you could not deny that it was God that was doing it and not me. Because the things that you saw me do, I could have never done on my own without God. And in a sense, what we have to realize, again, as we live for the Lord and as we serve the Lord, again, God wants to work in and through us to a point where other believers and even other non-believers can see that there are things that we are doing in our life that goes beyond what you and I could do on our own. He wants to do that with all of us. And we have to realize that. But let's not forget, in all of that, it takes perseverance. And remember, one of the times I I defined this Greek word that I like to talk about, hupomone, it's one of my favorite words, as supernatural hang-in-there power from God. That's really what it is. It is that stick-to-itiveness, hang-in-there, stay-with-it-from-God power. 
And you don't find that today in the body of Christ. But yet, we're, it's so necessary if we're going to sustain our life and sustain our ministry and sustain our focus and sustain our service. If we're going to sustain anything, there's got to be that stick-to-itiveness. There, there's always that jump to go into something new. But how many of us really stick with something over the long haul? And hang in there, you see. And that's what we've got to learn to do. Now again, this perseverance isn't something that we can do on our own. We can't endure, you know, we can't be steadfast. We can't persevere on our own. That's going to come from God. But we've got to understand that is a reality of the Christian life and ministry and service. That in everything we do, We've got to, in a sense, have a foundation of perseverance under it all because it's going to take perseverance. Because again, we're in a spiritual warfare. We're dealing with each other, with people. And and if we're not willing to hang in there and let God build that supernatural hang in there power into our lives, then it's not going to take much to just be confronted with something or someone or some situation and just throw up our hands and just give up and walk away. And be like a child in the sense of things aren't going my way, so I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. And that's what many Christians do today. And that's not the way God designed the Christian life and ministry to be. And that was certainly very evident in Paul. And we even see that tonight as he continues to try to work through this tense and uh, unpleasant situation with his brothers and sisters in Corinth. It's even how Paul was able, with the grace of God, to overcome the thorn in in his flesh we talked about last week and persevere. Then Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, For how were you treated worse than the other churches except that I myself was not a burden to you? Remember, Paul throws a little sarcasm out there. Paul, Paul was hurt. And, and he's like, yeah, you guys say I was a real burden to you. Yeah. Yeah, because you were the only church that I didn't ask for an offering from. I took an offering and was supported by the churches in Macedonia so that I could come to Corinth and not be a burden at all to you. By the way, the word burden is an interesting word. I want to talk about that for a moment. It means to be a weight on somebody or literally to grow numb. And the idea is that, again, in our life in ministry and just walking through life as Christians, we must be careful and be aware not to become a continual weight on other believers. We're called to lift each other up and build each other up. Now, again, there's going to be times where a burden is, and and we're called as brothers and sisters to carry one another's burdens every once in a while. Those extra heavy loads that sometimes unexpectedly come into all of our lives. Nothing wrong with that. But we should never seek to be a continual weight on someone else. And, And to grow numb to what kind of effect we are having on others. We should always seek to lighten the load of others rather than to be adding weight 
to their lives. And Paul, in a sense, was saying the same thing. He says, look, verse 14, for the third time I'm ready to come to you. The first time Paul came to Corinth, he planted the church. He stayed for a year and a half before he passed the reins on to another pastor. The second time he came, he came between the writing of 1 Corinthians and this book, 2 Corinthians. And that was not a pleasant visit. And now he says, I'm getting ready to come a third time to you, and I will not be a burden to you because I did not want your possessions. I wanted you. See, the false teachers, remember, had come into Corinth, and one of the ways that they turned the Corinthians against Paul was basically to trump up this false charge that all Paul cared about was their material possessions. And, and Paul's like, really? Out of all the things you could have accused me of, and you're the one church that I didn't take any offering from? And you're saying I came because I wanted your stuff? I didn't want your stuff. I wanted you. And that's the essence of ministry and service. When it comes right down to it, it's about people. It's about our relationships with each other. It's about iron sharpening iron and us getting to the point where we rub shoulders so closely together that we are positive influences on each other's lives. And that's what it's all about. It's never about buildings. It's never about programs. It's always about people. Impacting people. Keep your finger there and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. Let me remind you of what Paul said there at the end of chapter 6, which goes along with this. Verses 11, 12, and 13 of 2 Corinthians 6. Remember when he said these words to the Corinthians? He said, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Our affection for you is not restricted. The idea is that theirs to him was. And you are restricted in your affections for us. Verse 13, now as a fair exchange, the way a relationship should be. In other words, it shouldn't be just one-sided. Healthy relationships are mutually reciprocal. And so he's saying, I've opened up my heart completely to you, but you've got a wall up to me. So his encouragement is, I speak as to my spiritual children, open wide your hearts to us also. That's basically what he's saying now in chapter 12. I didn't care about your possessions. I care about you. I want a relationship with you. That's what it's all about. And that's what it needs to be about with us as well. We've got to be willing as much as it hurts sometimes because we will be hurt and we will hurt others. We've got to be willing to open ourselves up to other believers. We just do. We will never impact them or allow others to impact us if we don't open ourselves up to each other. And again, I've shared this with you. We can impress people from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. And that's why God says, I need my people to connect with each other and build relationships with each other. Because that's the only way you really ignite and impact each other. By the way, Sunday morning's message this coming Sunday is going to be on the priorities of a Christian who can ignite and inspire other Christians. What's that look like? We're going to talk about that on Sunday. Because he goes on to say, 
For children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He's basically saying, look, I felt like I was your spiritual father. I started the church. Therefore, just like it is physically, children shouldn't have to sort of bear the burden for their parents. Parents understand when they have children, it's their responsibility to sort of take care of their children. So Paul says, that was my mentality with you in Corinth. That wasn't my mentality with every church, obviously, because Paul asked for their support. But with you, I felt like that's the way it was and that's the way I wanted it to be. So notice what he says in verse 15. Here's another challenge to us as Christians to serve and minister in this way. He says, now I will most gladly, with pleasure, spend and be spent for your lives. The first word spend means a cost, a sacrifice, a price to be paid. And Paul's again saying to all of us as Christians, you and I cannot really be used by Christ to impact and ignite and inspire other believers unless we are willing to pay a price. It's got to cost us something. And too often we don't want to pay the price that it takes for God to really use us. And Paul said, I was willing to be spent for your lives. In other words, Paul was all in. He wasn't holding anything back. And we've got to have that mentality. You know? Now again, we have to be careful in our relationships. You don't just go out there and just trust everybody. But you've got to be willing to be open to the people that God wants you to be open to so that you can minister to them and they can minister to you. And that's all Paul's saying here. And know that true ministry and true service is going to cost us. We can't serve the Lord Jesus Christ who was the greatest example of ministry that cost him something. And go, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to minister. I want my life to count. I want you to use me to impact other lives. But I don't want to pay any price for it. That's foreign to God. There is no such thing. And Paul understood that. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 15, If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And the word love here means deeply, to have great affection for. That was Paul's attitude, even towards these Corinthians. He had a great affection, deep affection. Dearly loved them. Do we really love each other the way we should? Well, all of us could always improve on that. But I do want to say I love the atmosphere and the environment that is the Oasis Church. Because there is love here. There is affection for one another here. And we just need to ask God to continue to keep that going and growing. Because that's the way God wants it to be. He says in verse 16, But be that as it may, I have not burdened you. Now, here's some some more sarcasm. Yet because I was a crafty person, I took you in by deceit. See, here, here was the story. These false teachers came into the church at Corinth and said this collection that Paul was gathering for the church, for the church in Jerusalem, 
that wasn't really for them. Paul was going to pocket all the money himself. That's what they were saying. And of course, we know that Paul, my goodness, there was so much accountability and so many checks and balances that Paul and others put into place so that that would never be the case. But again, it shows that when people, when they're not in a right place with God, they just start making up stuff. And sometimes you've probably had stuff just made up about you. Hopefully there hasn't been times in our life where we've just made up stuff about others. But it happens. It happened to Paul. So he goes on to say, Yet I have not taken advantage, verse 17, of you through anyone I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to visit you, and I sent out brother along with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit? Did we not behave in the same way? Have you not been thinking, or have you been thinking all this time that we've been defending ourselves to you? We are speaking in Christ before God. And everything we do, dear friends, is to build you up. Again, Paul goes back to say that's the essence of everything we did. To build you up. By the way, the words build you up here means to edify, to promote their growth. And God says, that's what I want to see in all my children. That again, as we rub shoulders with each other, that everything we do in each other's lives should be to promote the spiritual growth and build each other up and edify each other, not tear each other down. Not look at a Christian or talk to a Christian in a way where they feel inferior or lacking. But where they feel valued and loved. And where their worth and preciousness is magnified. We all need to be that way with each other. Here's a sobering, challenging question. Did you build up another brother or sister in Christ today in some way? Did someone in the body build you up in some way? It should be that way. We should be building each other up and learning and growing as to how to do that more and how to do it more effectively. Because that's what, that's what the essence is. That's why God calls us to be together. So that we can build each other up. That's why it's foreign in the New Testament to, to see Christians who isolate themselves and stay away from connecting and building relationships with other Christians. Because how can we build each other up if we're never around each other and have relationships with each other? Can't do it. Can't fulfill this at all. And then Paul says in verse 20, for I am afraid, I'm alarmed that somehow when I come this third time, I will not find you what I wish. And then I like what Paul says. And he says, if that's true, you will find me not what you wish either. (laughs) I mean, you can almost hear the spiritual father in him. It's almost like a parent to a child. Like, if I come home, And this is the way it is. Not going to be a good time. There's going to be some spankings going on. And Paul goes on to get specific. He says, I'm afraid because of what Paul's heard 
what's happening in the church. He says, I'm afraid that somehow when I come, I'm going to find you quarreling. The word means to be contentious with each other, striving with each other. He says, I'm afraid I'm going to find jealousy amongst you, envy, rivalry. I'm going to find intense anger amongst you. The word in the Greek literally means boiling hot. I'm going to find selfish ambition. In other words, Paul is saying here, I'm going to find people in the church who are all about putting themselves forward. I'm going to hear slander, defamation of character. I'm going to hear gossip. The word in the Greek literally means whisperings behind others' backs. I'm going to find arrogance and pride and disorder, which literally means instability and confusion. Wow. That sounds like a fine, upstanding body of believers, doesn't it? Keep your finger there for a moment and go over to the book of James real quick. I want you to see that these characteristics that Paul talks about, he hopes he doesn't find when he gets to Corinth, are also mentioned by James in the book of James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And what James points out is, when you find these attitudes amongst Christians and in a church, those attitudes are not coming from the Spirit of God. They are actually being brought about by demonic spirits and by Christians allowing demonic spirits to influence their life. Listen to the words of James in James 3.13. Because the the people that James were writing to, just like the Corinthians, were all about, hey, we're wise. You know, we got knowledge. We got understanding. James says, really? You, You think you're wise? He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, he should show his works done in the gentleness that wisdom brings. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. And the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. James says, you want to know when the Spirit of God is in control of someone's life and is in control of a church? Then this is going to be the character of that church. But if you want to see when earthly, natural, sensual, demonic spirits are in control and influencing, then this is what you're going to find. And that's why Paul is so grieved. Because the things that he's heard about the way the people are treating each other in the church at Corinth, that wisdom is not coming from God. Those attitudes aren't coming from the Holy Spirit. Those attitudes are coming from the world and from demonic spirits. So back to 2 Corinthians. Let's wrap this up tonight. Paul also says, I'm afraid, verse 21, that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. The word humiliate here means bring one to their knees with grief. Which is what Paul goes on to say when he says, and I will grieve for many of those in that church. 
Wow, that's a strong statement Paul makes. God may bring me, because can, you can imagine, Paul started this church. He founded this church. He, he got this church going in the right direction. And now after he's left, this is, this is the way it is? I'm sure that would be pretty humbling. Like, wow. Look at what's happened here. And all Paul can say is, I'm grieving over the condition of this church. This isn't the way God intended for churches, local churches to be. I do want to say this. In fact, you'll see this in a blog coming up in a couple of weeks, because I just wrote it here in the last couple of days. When God does bring us low, God always brings us low in order to raise us up. God never intends to bring any of us low in order to keep us low. It is always to purge or prune or something in our lives so that we can actually be used in a greater way. You go throughout the Bible and you see this pattern. Even with Christ, who was the perfect, sinless Son of God, He endured the cross before He received glory again. And all through the Bible, with Bible characters, you see where they were brought low in order to be used in greater ways. You think of Joseph in the book of Genesis, who went through the pit and the prison before he was elevated by God and used in a greater way. You see Moses in the book of Exodus who was brought low before God raised him up and used him in a greater way. You see Paul being brought low as Saul on the road to Damascus and God humbled Paul before Paul could be used in a greater way. You see Peter being humbled by his denials of Christ around the crucifixion before God used him in a great way on the day of Pentecost and throughout the rest of his life. When God does choose to bring His people low, it is only to elevate them to an even greater degree. So if in your life at some point, God is for some reason have brought you low, always keep in mind, this being brought low is only to raise me up higher. Only to to make me even a more effective servant for Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, I will grieve. Wow, I will mourn. So, here's a... When was the last time we grieved or mourned over our own spiritual state, much less than other Christians? Here again, you see the heart of Paul. Paul wept about the spiritual condition of other Christians. Wow. To have that kind of heart and love and relationship with other believers that truly their spiritual condition would bring us to a place of grieving and mourning and weeping. Paul says, I will grieve for many of those who previously sinned and, notice, have not repented. The word repent just means to change. 
And let's not forget that repentance for a believer restores fellowship, not salvation. Repentance for a believer restores fellowship, not salvation. We don't need to be saved over again. We just need to have our fellowship with God and with other believers restored again. And that's what was wrong here. Notice that because of their sin, their sin in their lives as Corinthians had separated them not only from God, but from Paul. And that's what sin does in our lives. It not only separates and and breaks the fellowship between us and God, it breaks our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one of the sad byproducts of when we're not in a good place with God, we're also not in a good place with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which is all the more reason why Paul says, I'm going to do everything I can to set you guys straight and hope that you will listen and hope that you will repent and hope that you will change because I want you back in my life and I want this relationship restored. But as long as you stay on this path of sin and you're not willing to change then not only is your relationship with God going to be broken, your relationship with me is going to be broken as well. And Paul says, I will grieve for many of those who previously sinned and have not repented of the impurity, the uncleanness, their sexual immorality, which very importantly, the Greek literally, is idolatry. In other words, God wants to remind us that even in sexual immorality, you're putting another person in front of or in place of me. They've become an idol. And so to God, sexual immorality actually at its core is idolatry. It is putting someone or something else above him. And then he goes on to say licentiousness which in the Greek means unbridled lust and shamelessness. And notice Paul goes on to say, they have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and licentiousness that they have practiced. The word practice means they've committed to this. We talked about practicing on Sunday, but training ourselves for godliness. The Corinthians have learned to train themselves for Sin. They're good at practicing sin rather than practicing godliness every day. And it is grieving the heart of God and it is grieving the heart of Paul. Next week we wrap up our study of 2 Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul is going to even get to the point where he challenges some of the Corinthians to even test themselves to see whether they're even Christians. And so it's a great way to end this great study of 2 Corinthians. Hey, a couple things before we wrap it up in prayer tonight. So, Sunday, I had mentioned to the church about praying and continuing to pray for what God has for us in our future. And, and I just want you to know that God is so encouraging me and exciting me about what our future holds. And again, it's always about God. It's always about people. But I know that there's, God is bringing us into a season 
where he wants to take us through this process as a way to express our faith and to have our faith stretched. That's what this is going to be all about. It's not going to be about securing property and buildings and all that. It's a faith venture. Look at it as the same way of the nation of Israel in the book of Joshua. Them going into the promised land wasn't just about the land. It was about the process of the spiritual growth and maturity and the exercise of their faith that it was going to take to defeat the giants out there and to face the challenges in order to appropriate the land that God already had for them. And that's what this next step is going to be about in our journey as a church family. So, specifically, there may be, and I don't want anybody to feel like we're getting too far down the road. This is just very premature, but I want you to pray about it. There is a parcel of land right here in Gilbert, five acres, that may be a possibility for us. So just be praying about that. We as a building team are going to meet on Sunday. We are going to have to find out some things. We want to see if they'll reduce the price that they're asking for this land. We also need to find out if they're willing to allow a church on this land or is there, are they going to be you know, sticklers and say, no, this is zoned for residential and we're not going to budge on that. So there's some homework that we've got to do and we've got to run out some things. So we're going to do our due diligence before I come to the church and say, this may be a possibility. Here's the address or here's where it's located. Uh, but when we do that, I just want you to be in prayer now and, and just be praying. If this is what God wants, then he'll continue to unify our hearts and lead us down this path. If not, fine. God has a place out there for us. But this venture is not going to be about securing property or building buildings or anything. It's going to be an adventure of faith for us as a church family. God has built a, a strong core and foundation that he wants to build upon. And part of that is to get us now to a point where we're willing to sort of cross over our Jordan and start going in a new direction and a new season as a church. And I'm very excited about this. Again, because I think as we exercise our faith and see God work, it's only going to increase the, the strength of our fellowship and, and the strength of, of what God is doing. So that's one thing I wanted to share. Secondly, uh, couples... We have 17 couples signed up for our marriage getaway. My goal this year, because we had 25 the first two years, was 30 couples. So if you are wanting to go, desiring to go, let me say this. The deadline to get your money in to reserve a spot is next Tuesday. You might go, well, wait a minute. The getaway is until the 20th and 21st of September. Why so early? That deadline is put there by the Buttes, not by Lisa and I. We had nothing to do with that. That's their deadline. So all I'm saying is there's a week left if you want to go to the marriage getaway. So we were, want to announce it tonight. You can get your money to Lisa. Or, obviously, we're going to announce it on Sunday. And we will announce it again on next Tuesday. If you've went the last couple of years, 
Talk to other couples. Get another couple to come with you. Invite another couple to come with you. It is a great weekend for us as married couples to strengthen our relationship not only with God and not only with our spouses. It's also a great weekend where God strengthens our relationship with other couples in our church family. Now, let me say this. I've been asked, is this for anyone? Can couples from outside the Oasis come? Absolutely. Each year, we've had couples who don't come to the Oasis who've come to the marriage getaway. So if you want to invite a couple, a family member, or somebody to come with you, more the merrier. It'll be a great, great weekend. Finally, don't forget, next Tuesday from 6.30 to 7, uh, we're going to have an ice cream social. So make sure that you save a few calories to come and build a really big Sunday with all the nice toppings and everything. And what a great, again, Tuesday to invite somebody to come with you to Bible study. Because here's the deal. Next Tuesday, we're not only going to be ending our study in 2 Corinthians, but we're going to be introducing and sort of getting people excited about our new study to come in the Gospel of John starting on September the 3rd on Tuesday night. So what a great time to bring some new people out because we maybe then can retain some people through the fall as we study the Gospel of John. One more thing. I know I'm running a couple minutes over since I'm on a roll. One thing I want you to already be praying about because this is definitely going to be something that we are going to strategically use not only to build up our church family in the Word, but I'm going to use it as an outreach into our community. In January of 2014, on Tuesday night, I'm going to begin a 23-week study of the book of Revelation. I am very excited about this study in the book of Revelation. And I can't wait to share the book of Revelation with our church family once again. And we're going we're gonna to have cards made up like we did for our series in 2 Corinthians the whole month of December, I'm going to encourage our church family, use these cards, use these invitations, tell people about this study. I would love to pack this cafeteria in 2014 for this study. I think it's going to be an unbelievable study. Listen, the book of Revelation was chosen by God to be the last book in the canon of Scripture. It is used by God to be the consummation of God's plan and purpose for the world. It is the book that leaves us as Christians with a hope for the future of what the future holds for us as believers in Christ. There is no other book in the Word of God like the book of Revelation. And there is no book of prophecy that is more sweeping and, and more detailed about what the future holds for us and for this world than the book of Revelation. So already be praying about that. That will be our series right out of the box in 2014 as we come back after the holidays. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, God, for, Lord, just stirring our hearts, for using someone like Paul, 2,000 years after all this happened, even using a difficult circumstance like this tension and uncomfortable, unpleasant relationship 
that the Corinthians and, and he were going through with each other. And yet, Lord, you used it and are continuing to use it in our lives to teach us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to serve you, what it means to minister for you, what our lives look like and should look like and what we should strive for as children of the King. God, I pray tonight that as all of us leave here, that one thing would be true, that we would all leave here recognizing in our own lives that there is nothing lacking, that we are not inferior to any other believer in Jesus Christ. Even Peter said that Christians who come after us as the apostles will have a faith of equal value, just as precious, worth just as much as we the apostles had. God, help us to see that within each of us, through your word, through prayer, through the worship, through the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, we have everything we need to bring glory and honor to you and to live a life of unbelievable fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose. And, God, so let us leave here tonight encouraged by that. And help us, Lord, to allow you to fill us up so that we can then, in turn, live our lives spend and being spent for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday.